passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 264 preview show. I'm John Pollock, joined by the one-two punch that is Phil Shertok and Eric Marcotte here. On the preview show, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here. And Phil, it's always wonderful to speak with you when there is still daylight. Yeah, I mean, it was raining all day, uh, but it, getting a minor part in the clouds for this uh, delightful afternoon conversation. Well, it has been very overcast in the career of Conor McGregor. Will there be sunlight on Saturday night? That is the question that many people are asking in as many ways as possible about Saturday's trilogy between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. I'm going to start off with you, Eric, as we go into Saturday. Uh, what is kind of your, uh, your, your sense of how big this fight feels several days removed uh, from the fight, and also where Conor McGregor is now starting to come out of the darkness and uh, participate in some media interviews. So in terms of general interest, the last pay-per-view did, uh, let me see, about 1.6 million buys, if I recall reportedly. I think the excitement for this pay-per-view is surpassing that previous one. So honestly, it wouldn't shock me if this one hit 2 million. I think there's a lot of interest going into Saturday night. I think, Bill, as well, when you're coupling this with the fact that it is going to be a full arena on Saturday in Vegas, there's a big push for this fight. And I think a lot of just general interest because this is a fight that there are there's no championship involved, but there are very much stakes on the side of Conor McGregor, which is going to be the the power side of this equation on Saturday. Absolutely. A, a win, you know, means he's still relevant. And that seems to be something that's important to him and a loss. I mean, that obviously his star power can always catapult him into uh, big fights, but it's going to be very difficult to take him seriously. Um, and the fact that he, you know, he would end up on the losing end of uh, one of, you know, the key trilogy so far in his career, that would be pretty devastating to his legacy. Do you see a parallel, Eric? Everyone is just throwing this back to the the Nate Diaz comparison of how Connor came back and immediately wanted the rematch with Nate and having it at 170 pounds. Uh, this time around, we're talking six months between fights. Um, that was I, I am just looking at this, and my biggest question is how much could 
that Conor McGregor have done in six months that is going to reverse the outcome on Saturday? I understand what people are saying when they talk about the difference between uh, the first and second Nate Diaz fight for Conor McGregor, but I would also caution that that was, what, like five years ago? Yeah. I mean, a lot's changed. Five years have passed, and Conor McGregor hasn't been a very active fighter, so... I think it's kind of a different scenario. That's not saying that Conor McGregor can't beat Dustin Poirier. Uh, he definitely can. But I am still favoring Dustin Poirier going into this one. Phil, uh, Dustin Poirier is you know a favorite on every sports book out there, I think, with uh, complete validation uh, to be going in as this favorite. Um, what, what, is, what is your biggest question here regarding Conor McGregor and how he responds to that loss? I think for me, it's it's going to be a combination of factors. The first is what is the strategy that he's going to use? Because it's not going to be just a matter of, oh, did he prepare to uh, check leg kicks? Because Poirier is going to be aware of that. He's going to be using his footwork differently to uh, potentially exploit what he thinks Connor might be prepared for. So I'm just curious in terms of what Connor is going to do uh, from a strategy and his own footwork perspective to maybe maybe he wants to fight on the inside so that the leg kicks aren't even a factor. So that's what I'm most interested from his perspective. Um, was there a second part to the question, I thought? <laughs> no, I mean, just in terms of like what Connor takes uh, from that fight to change things. I think when you when you really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I, I did recall the second point. And, and it was also, you know, he has this history of like Dustin Poirier is definitely a five round fighter. And even though it, it was the leg kicks that took him out, you know, you could see the momentum of the fight was also changing throughout, you know, the latter part of the first round. So I think Conor McGregor has a lot to prove, not just in terms of, oh, can he beat Poirier, but how does he handle deep waters? How does he handle fighters that turn up the pace throughout the five rounds. Sorry to cut you off there. No, absolutely. Cut me off and uh, give out all of your wisdom to all of our oh, listeners. Well, I'll that's, cut you off uh, right now then. And to add to Phil's point, I, I think there's a lot of offensive strategies that we'll have to see different from Connor as well. I mean, something that you haven't really seen in his last few fights, Connor McGregor is a phenomenal kicker. He's very talented and creative with his kicks. And I think if he goes particularly to the body, to the legs himself, that could be a huge difference maker in this fight from the last fight, which was had a very uh, boxing-heavy attack from McGregor. Uh, Connor, uh, I don't know if either of you saw his interview with Stephen A. Smith, but he has a, an interesting wrinkle to his record that, in his mind, taps and decisions, those don't count as losses. Knockouts are definitive. Those are the only losses on his record. So Dustin Poirier does, in fact, hold a victory over Conor McGregor, one of the rare few who holds a win. Because none of these submissions or decisions uh, go on the the record book. So maybe that will be taken up at the next uh, uh, ABC convention. The one man, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, good on him. (laughs) Well, I mean, they can add add Sean O'Malley to the uh, list of people with interesting uh, criteria for wins and losses. So there, there, there you have it. I wanted to actually go back all the way 
uh, to their first meeting in 2014 and just kind of uh, question both of you where you guys saw Conor McGregor at that stage of his career. For those that maybe do not recall, this was only his third fight in the UFC. He had come in with that immediate win over Marcus Brimage and then thrown into a fight with Max Holloway later that summer. He has the knee injury, comes back. Sorry, this would have been the fourth fight with Dustin because he has the Diego Brandau fight. But with Dustin, it's the first pay-per-view fight for Conor McGregor. And this was when there were still all the questions about Conor McGregor. How would we, how would he fare against a high level wrestler? Uh, would he be able to deal with someone with uh, the striking prowess of a Dustin Poirier? But I'll start with you, Phil. What was kind of your estimation of how Conor McGregor was going to ascend at, at the time in the featherweight division uh, going into that fight when we had had a, a decent sample, but obviously not what we would see in the years to come? Yeah, so I, I was pretty high on Connor. I was impressed with the Max Holloway fight. Even though Holloway wasn't a champion at that point, I was still very high on him. And that was an interesting fight because he controlled it despite an injury with his grappling. So it is it, it very interesting. And then the follow-up, the Diego Brandau fight, no, it wasn't a pay-per-view, but it was a massive event in Ireland built entirely around Connor McGregor, and he delivered uh, without, you know, you know, he completely delivered. And so the idea of him uh, delivering in a big uh, pay-per-view event, that wasn't the question. The question was, could he go up against this, you know, high level a veteran at that point, uh, Dustin Poirier? And he exceeded my expectations with how he finished. I mean, he must have exceeded everybody's expectations with how he performed in that one. And that was a fight, Eric, that I mean, so much of it was about how like Connor just systematically broke this guy mentally before that fight ever began. If you watch the embedded leading up to that fight, like Dustin Poirier is just th- this was a guy completely going on fumes into uh, that fight. A very different Dustin Poirier than we're accustomed to seeing today. Yeah, I'd say perhaps more than any other opponent, Connor's uh, uh, mental warfare, so to say, it definitely got to Dustin, and you saw that in his performance. I remember at the time, even after that, I, I still wasn't completely sold on Connor. But you know, when he got in there and he beat up Dennis Seaver, then, then I knew he was. Dennis Seaver was the decision maker for Eric's. Like this guy might have uh, some upward mobility. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, yeah, it it to me it was a. Uh, it was a, an interesting fight for, for Conor McGregor, and I think it was more so – like, for me, it was very impressive watching the entire the entire surrounding th- that event in Dublin, Ireland, that here was a guy that oh, – we've seen a lot of fighters that some, sometimes can buckle under the pressure of a giant, large-scale event, and there was no bigger card built around one person than Conor in Dublin uh, that previous summer, and it just seemed this was a guy that thrived on that kind of pressure and would follow that up uh, continually. Uh, this this first fight with Dustin Poirier, I mean, it's not even the main event of that pay-per-view that he deferred to uh, Chris Cariazzo challenging Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, a stacked uh, card if you want to go back and look at it's that It's an one. incredible I, card when you have C-178. Yes. Um, but we fast forward uh, back to this fight, and it's interesting to hear what uh, Conor McGregor is saying going into this fight. He is he is now stating that with a win, he has plans. He he has to fight Charles Oliveira next. So he is eyeing the UFC lightweight championship. Um, this is going to be a fight that I think, honestly, it's you can go back to the second fight. And 
Connor landed a great shot on Dustin Poirier in the first round. And I think for the Connor supporters, they can look at this guy can touch Dustin and, and land to, to the supporter of Dustin Poirier. I would say this guy ate Connor's best shot and he just got stronger as that round continued and then finished him in the second round. I just look at there was too much evidence in that second fight that Connor McGregor has to have changed so much from what I saw in that first fight to have a different outcome here. But this is a guy that that power is still there. I just question if if that's going to be enough that you can rely on him uh, catching Dustin and finishing him, which would have to be early, I think. No, yeah, you certainly have a point. I think Dustin has a lot more uh, ways to victory. I think that would be fair to say. He's he's a bit more of a well-rounded fighter. He can drag him into deeper waters. But uh, I, I don't think necessarily this fight will look exactly like the last one either. I mean, if we look at... Uh, I'm trying to think of a recent tr- trilogy or pair of fights. Let's go with DC versus Stipe Miocic, for example. Three different fights in a relatively close amount of time. And all of them played out very differently. I think Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier are both high enough level fighters who both have the ability to make adjustments between camps, mid-fights, that this could look very different depending on McGregor's offensive strategy as well as Poirier's. But kind of like we talked about earlier, yeah, I, I think Poirier just has more ways to win. And that makes me lean towards him if I were to put some money down on it. Phil, are you going to take the prop on Conor McGregor by submission? <laughs> well then i mean that's not a victory right he only goes for victories <laughs> that's right that's right that would be against his credo so uh i i don't know if we will be seeing any uh conor mcgregor submission attempts do you think that wrestling is going to play a bigger factor uh for, for dustin in this fight to either of you i i, th- I think that the clinch i i'm i'm interested to see how the clinch plays out because i think that you know, Connor's going to either want to be inside or outside. I don't think he's going to want to be at at sort of that mid-range here. Um, so, I, um, you know, Connor's a pretty good wrestler. He did get, I mean, he got taken down last time, but I don't think he was expecting it. It will be a factor because Poirier's strategy, I think, will be to mix it up not just focus on boxing or kickboxing or leg kicks or any of that. I think putting together a well-rounded attack is what's going to allow him to ensure that Connor fades throughout the fight and he picks it up. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that take. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Dustin wrestle a bit more, but Connor's a really strong defensive grappler. It's easier said than done to just go in there and wrestle him for five rounds. And I don't know if Poirier, I mean, Poirier is a very skilled grappler, has very good jujitsu, but I don't know if he really has the wrestling to just take Connor down and control him for the entirety of the fight. It can certainly play a role in it, but I don't think it will decide it, especially if we get a finish. Yes. Um, in terms of, you know, outcomes here, um, you know, Connor McGregor is, again, he is eyeing fighting for a championship i think this all but would guarantee a title fight for dustin poirier but in the current landscape of ufc i don't guarantee anything um if if we uh, if we suppose that conor mcgregor loses this fight and in convincing fashion if this is a real conor mcgregor loss on saturday uh there are still plenty of fights to make with (laughs) conor mcgregor but a big narrative going into this is that does this is this sort of a referendum on Conor McGregor as an elite level 
uh, lightweight. And I would say the loss to Poirier, um, nothing to me completely eliminates Conor McGregor from a championship situation. But when we're talking about like that, those top three, four lightweights, I think this does remove Conor McGregor from that conversation of just pure skill set of where the game is versus where Conor McGregor is. Is that what is riding on this fight, Eric? Um, I think there's certainly some truth to that. I think it's actually really hard to judge where McGregor stands up to the rest of the division. I mean, technically, he has like one win in the last five years, which isn't an incredibly impressive statistic. But when you see him fight, you can see that he's still a very high level fighter. It's just hard to say uh, exactly what would be next for him, especially after a loss. Um, Dustin Poirier might be the best lightweight in the world. I, with no disrespect to Charles Oliveira, I don't think that's a crazy claim. So where does Connor stand up against the rest of the elite level division? Uh, I guess we'll find out one way or the other. And what is the motivating factor if you are not looking at uh, a championship fight? I mean, the Nate Diaz fight is just going to circulate circulate throughout uh, for the rest of their careers until that third fight happens I think win or lose people are going to talk about that fight uh, but that will certainly intensify with a loss Phil yeah I think that's that's uh, a fight that uh, people will always want to see I think there are lots of other big fights out there Uh, if Connor loses badly um, maybe a fight versus Jorge Masvidal makes more sense than a fight versus Nate Diaz um, I definitely think he'll continue to have big fights. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a win for him to, you know, sort of establish himself as, you know, an elite uh, lightweight. Just as uh, Eric was saying, because he he has fought so infrequently and because he's only fighting the best of the best, it's like if he loses to Poirier, you know, in a, in a competitive fight, then... Maybe that's enough to tell us that he still deserves to be fighting, you know, Justin Gaethje or somebody else who's really close to a title shot to maybe, you know, get a spot back in there. But if he loses badly, it's 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 a tougher sell. But again, he's still fighting so infrequently and it's still the top guys. What if there were a scenario where Connor tapped due to strikes? Would that be a loss <laughs> in Connor's uh... <laughs> I think that's listed as a TKO, so questionable, but he'll let us know. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about some of the other fights. Uh, a really interesting fight at welterweight between Gilbert Burns, who is coming off that loss uh, to Kamaru Usman earlier this year in February, and Stephen Thompson, who uh, you know fought for the championship twice uh, against Tyron Woodley. He is now 38 years of age, uh, still looks 18. And has now been competing in the UFC for nine years. I think it's a very important fight for Stephen Thompson. Um, also a tough position that Gilbert Burns is in because I would say he's in a role where he certainly can derail any championship opportunity for Thompson. Uh, but a win, I don't care how impressive it looks. Uh, there are just so many contenders at welterweight that I do not see Burns getting another opportunity while Usman is champion unless it were extremely important uh, – circumstances where there was some kind of an injury or something along those lines. So it's a very interesting fight, but I would say, Phil, this is a very, very important fight for Stephen Thompson if he has any hopes of fighting for a championship, because I just look at the age and I don't think he can come back after a loss to get back to that picture. Yeah, I totally agree. And while, you know, the welterweight title picture, it does seem like the UFC is trying to zero in on a Covington 
uh, fight with Usman, you know, there's not really anybody after that. So, uh, I mean, obviously, there's Leon uh, Edwards out there. Who the most totally forgotten deserves man a title. in this division. He deserves no a one title even shot, thinks about so, this guy. He might as well have so, lost to Nate Diaz. Well, I, I mean, you know, it's it's the unfortunate reality. So I think I think this really sets up a fight versus him for Thompson, and the winner of that is going to get the title shot. And you're right, age is definitely a factor. Uh, you know, he's looked great throughout the years. Uh, you know, his the I think it was the last fight against Luke. That was a, a terrific performance. Yeah, Jeff Neal. Uh, uh, after oh, that. Jeff Neal. That's right. That's right. And that was a great one too, right? Neal was you know highly regarded, up and coming, vicious guy, and uh, he neutralized him completely. And the, the, the Luke fight that I mentioned, you know, the the only bad loss was the was the Pettis one, and and it was I, I think he just really just misjudged that strike because he was controlling that fight. So it, it, it it's pretty unfortunate, I think, uh, for him because I think he deserves a title shot as well. Um, and you're right, it's a bit away, but I think a win here and then potentially that fight with Leon Edwards, and he does get that title shot. An interesting stat here is for Stephen Thompson, uh, 78% takedown defense. And I think that's going to be an area that's going to be very important in this fight. And when you, you know, take that percentage over all of the fights Stephen Thompson has had, um, I, I think that that's a, that's a very interesting statistic to throw out there. Where do you think this fight is going to be, um, contested, Eric? Like, do you look at Gilbert Burns here as somebody that, um, has that ability to, take this into his department on the, on the ground. Um, I, I think this fight's probably going to take place largely on the feet, even though wonder boy is obviously the much more accomplished striker. I think Burns is probably pretty confident in his hands at this point in his career. I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to uh, beat up that lead leg of wonder boy and try to catch him with one of those big, powerful hooks of his, if it does go to the ground. Yeah, obviously go where Burns is. He might be the best in the entire division on the ground. Uh, with all due respect to Damian Maya, but I, I don't think that's going to be his game plan. I, I think he's going to try to keep it on the feet. It's a it, it's it's a very important fight. I think with with Stephen Thompson, I I favor him in this fight mainly. Uh, I'm going a lot a lot off of the performances he's had. Like, there's not too many guys that have looked that good against Vicente Luque and also Jeff Neal. Like, these are very solid performances from Stephen Thompson and. Again, I just see there's there's a lot riding on the line for him, but I'm I'm always curious about how a fighter like a Gilbert Burns bounces back after a really tough loss where you have fought for the championship, come up short, and now it's life after that that title shot. Like you're looking at a very long road back to that if if that is what's, you know, motivating your career. Like that that's a long road for a Gilbert Burns to get back to. Yeah, it was a pretty decisive loss, although he did have Usman in some trouble in the first round. But he's not that name that's going to, you know, just get get himself thrown right back into title contention. He's going to need to go on a streak to get back there. Also on the main card is a heavyweight fight between Greg Hardy and Tai Tuivasa. Uh, oh, God. Here, here are some numbers for everybody, okay? So Tai Tuivasa... 92% of his wins have been by knockout or TKO, 86% for Greg Hardy. We have average fight times of just over, uh, just around seven and a half minutes, uh, for each. Uh, <laughs> Taitu Ivasa, 4.42 strikes landed per minute and absorbs <laughs> 3.06 per minute. For Greg Hardy, 3.88 strikes landed per minute, 2.41 that he absorbs. 
I look at this fight, this is two guys being thrown in there to just uh, <laughs> avoid Greg Hardy have to, having to worry about any kind of wrestling, uh, any kind of defense off of his back, and just to have um, a wild heavyweight brawl, and we see who the winner is. Because I think this is – we're getting right to, to me, like – the end of the like the quote unquote Greg Hardy experiment is now several years old, and this is a fight that I would say at this point like a loss here. Like where where are we really going with Greg Hardy other than being this um, this like heavyweight novelty? Uh, he's coming off his first uh, stoppage loss against who was Marcin Tybura. Yeah, uh, Taituivasa recently cut, but hey, he came back and he's put a couple wins together. I'd be lying if I said I was looking forward to this fight, but hopefully we get uh, an explosive finish quickly. Is this just going to be a, a brawl, Phil? Or are we maybe maybe we're going to get the the parlay of Connor and Greg Hardy by submission in the same night? What would that What would that be? I think uh, you could retire well, if you pulled that one off. Oh, you know what? Greg Hardy's ground game might be better than tied to Ivasa's. <laughs> Greg Hardy could land like just some wild, like it's called a guillotine, but it looks nothing like a guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those where it was like uh, maybe uh, we'll modified see, uh, blank. That's yeah, what that kind of shit that only happens at heavyweight. Yes, maybe we'll see a hurricanrana in this heavyweight uh, yeah. <laughs> MMA fight. W- will we see a- an inhaler in this fight? <laughs> That's a good. <laughs> Uh, just take it on. I, 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 I think, I don't know. I'm worried about this one. I, cause Tibura should beat, beat him. So he should beat him. So I, yes. Tuvasa, sorry. I'm looking at the uh, previous fight uh, he had. Uh, Tuvasa should definitely beat him. But so I think I'm worried that Hardy's going to just like play it safe. And this is going to be a not fun heavyweight scrap, but I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. It's definitely set up to be what you described, John. Uh, also, we'll get a, a nice shoey at the end of it. Oh, we we can only hope, can't we? Co- COVID's uh, winding down, so what better time than to just uh, share shoes full of alcohol and down them? What what possible diseases could we discover now in a post uh, or at least semi post COVID world? Tied to Ivasa doesn't strike me as somebody who's concerned about much of anything actually well why not uh the main card rounds out with uh arena aldana versus yana kunitskaya at 135 pounds and sean o'malley returns and he's got a replacement opponent in the debuting chris mutino who is obviously uh an enormous underdog this is the largest disparity uh betting wise sean o'malley a massive favorite uh mutino has uh, stated outright i am not guaranteeing a win i'm not guaranteeing a loss but I am oh. guaranteeing fight of the night. And I think this guy, listen, this is his, this is his entryway into the UFC. He's helping UFC keep Sean O'Malley on this card with the hopes that, hey, I'll get a full camp for my next one. But I mean, unless it, there's no pressure on this guy, uh, but I don't know, uh, if we should expect any kind of upset here. Sean O'Malley, a massive favorite, um, but someone they obviously wanted on this card with a lot of eyes on it. Yeah, they had, I mean, they made a point to have him on the last uh, McGregor event as well. So, you know, they're they're keeping this uh, duo together. And yeah, they, they clearly ha- want to push him and they want to see him in big uh, wins under uh, the bright lights. And so, yeah, that's why they gave him this name as opposed to somebody a little bit higher up the food chain. 
You know who quietly ends up on a lot of these huge cards? It's Stephen Thompson. Like, he has found himself. Like, if you look at some of these MSG shows, uh, Connor fights, like, Stephen Thompson, like, gets his way into, like, a lot of these cards. He fought on, uh, he fought on the George St. Pierre, Michael Bisping card. He was on the Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal card. He was, uh, 205 is when he challenged, uh, Tyron Woodley. It's like, th- this guy gets on all these cards that you maybe, uh, don't think of off the top of your head. He was on that 178 card, the, the legendary UFC 178. Oh, yeah. He yes, Patrick he was. Cote. Patrick Cote. Yes. <laughs> he was on the Jones Evans card. Like, this guy. Oh, man. They, they get him some FaceTime here. He was on the, le- he headlined the legendary uh, Fight Night card in Ottawa with Roy McDonald. Legendary? Legendary. Legendary. Every, yes. every Ottawa native I mean- still talks about that night in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> legendary night. Um, I wanted to ask specifically you, Phil. You have been a longtime Ryan Hall supporter, and he is making one of his uh, his rare appearances in the Octagon on Saturday night. And he's taking on a fighter by the name of Ilya Taporia, who is two and zero thus far in the UFC with wins over Yusuf Zalal and Damon Jackson. And he is a pretty sizable favorite here over Ryan Hall, who is unbeaten but has not fought since July of 2019 when he beat Darren Elkins. Uh, some people, Ryan Hall is not for everyone. I love watching this guy compete but this is a this is like a really interesting fight to watch on saturday because i i i think ryan hall is such a difficult opponent uh to to deal with and Ilya taporia at least odds makers see him as a big favorite in this fight yeah i think uh a lot of that has to do with the fact that hall hasn't fought in so long um independent of you know the fact that a lot of that is because people just don't want to fight him um and he, it, it appears like he has only one way to win, right? And that's his jujitsu, and that that is true. I mean, he's not typically going to beat people with strikes, even though he does throw a fair bit of volume. Um, but Connor, it's that Greg, Connor, and Greg Hardy by submission, and Ryan Hall by head kick knockout. <laughs> um, and. Uh, so, but he is so creative with that jujitsu that he has he has a ton of ways to win, particularly with uh, creative leg locks. And uh, his opponent, Ilya Tapura, Tapuria, has looked really good in his a couple of UFC uh, fights, and he's undefeated and is well rounded. So I can understand, but uh, I just don't. It's a very challenging to find training partners. Uh, like Ryan Hall, even people who are good at leg locks. He's just so creative at setting them up. Um, so I, I almost see any fight with Ryan Hall as a pick at this point. So I'm definitely really intrigued by that fight, and I'm looking forward to it uh, and looking forward to uh, Ryan Hall's expressionless face. What else on the prelims are of interest to you, Eric? Uh, I mean, we should talk about the real main event of UFC 264 here, Nico Price against Michelle Pereira, because oh my god, this I is love be it. Nuts. This should, is just going to be should be five nuts. rounds. This will be a video oh. game. <laughs> exactly. That, that's who both of these guys are, and this is this is a lock for fight of the night. Not a chance it goes to something else. Not a chance. I don't know. Carlos Condit has a history of fight of the nights, and he is going up against Max Griffin, who's a pretty exciting fighter. So I, I could see that that. That uh, surpassing Michelle Pejia. Oh, come on. Carlos Condit's last fight of the night was like seven years ago. I love Carlos Condit, but uh, 
it's been a rough few years, man. Well, there's a certain age bracket that Carlos Condit is fighting now. I mean, he's he's got the wins over Court McGee and Matt Brown. He's actually riding a win streak going into this. Uh, and now he's fighting a 35-year-old Max Griffin. So, I mean, this was a, not too many people come back after five losses. But here we are with Carlos Condit, um, who amazingly, we could be talking about a three-fight win streak after Saturday. Hey, he might find himself in this new... Uh older version of the welterweight division with names like Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz set to meet later in the year. What, how much uh, do you like that fight for Nick Diaz in September? Yeah, I think that's if Nick Diaz is coming back to fight, I think Robbie Lawler is actually the perfect person to put him against. I like it a lot. I think that that's I, I mean, it's playing to strengths. I think I think there's going to be such a buzz for Nick Diaz. Um, and I mean, here's a guy that has not fought in. It'll be almost seven years by the time he fights, which is just ridiculous. And his last win was what? Like BJ uh, Penn? BJ Penn. Oh my. That was, Dude, that was we're, like we're literally maybe that will almost be exactly a decade after the oh, BJ Penn wow. fight. That was October twenty eleven if he fights in September. That's insane. I think the uh, projected odds have Lawler as a as a as a bit of a favorite right now, but uh, Robbie's looked uh, very gun shy for his last three or four. Last I, I, fights, I'd take so. the, I'd take Nick in the fight. I'd yeah, I don't think that's a crazy take at all. I just don't know what you can possibly expect from Nick Diaz. I mean, yes, I don't he, know either. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been destroying himself for seven years uh, fighting, but I mean, Jesus, uh, I, like that's a total just shot in the dark novelty that you are uh enamored to see nick diaz fight but i i don't know what to possibly expect in in that fight but it's a, a lot more interesting to me uh seeing him in, in a fight like that with robbie lawler than putting him against like a top welterweight that i just think w- what fun is that uh i don't think the audience you're attracting i do not want to i don't think they want to see nick diaz just throw into the wolves which i think that is what it would be if he was put against a top five welterweight Agreed. I think that would be pretty gross. I think if we're looking at a big comeback fight for Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler was the perfect name. There was guys that we just talked about. You can always run it back with Condit or a fight against Matt Brown or something. But I think in terms of name value, their history, I think Robbie Lawler was just uh, – that's perfect matchmaking. Uh, where are you, Phil, on the next month's uh, pay-per-view, which will now be headlined by Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon for the interim heavyweight championship? I mean, I I mean, it's not a terribly compelling title fight. It's a nice fight to determine a number one contender. Um, if you ask me, I mean, you could, know, could they you have just done it. that? Like, I think I really disagree when the like the UFC clearly has this belief that a main event has to have a title attached to it. And I will argue until I'm dead that no fan cares about an interim title. Nobody. You cannot quiz anybody that's going to have a, a list of their favorite interim championship reigns off the top of their head. Nobody cares. You could have just done this five-round fight, and it's a number one contender fight. And I'll go further that there, as a result of this, there are two, there are two outcomes. Number one is that this is going to further delay any potential of John Jones fighting Francis Ngannou. So the fans lose in that sense. The other end of it is that they come to an agreement with John Jones, who is going to fight Ngannou, and then this interim title is completely worthless and just off to the side as this stupid distraction. It's just a complete waste having a belt here. Just do this fight. Just do the. You can do a five-round non-title fight and call it what it is, number one contender fight. 
100%. And they have a title fight on that card already as they well. They do. Amanda, Amanda Nunes, Nunes is fighting. So like, this pay-per-view is going to do identical whether there is an interim title or no interim title. Identical. Who, who wants a fucking five-round Derek Lewis fight anyways? I think, yeah. So I agree with all, what you're all saying. I think part of it has to do, this is in Houston as well, right? And so mm-hmm. they want Derek Lewis as the main event. And so that plays I get a that. little bit of I get of that. Factor. But again, put him on the card. Yeah. We, we don't need an interim title. I, 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 I guess they just figured it was weird to put him in the main event without it being a title, right? Like, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I agree with you. Uh, it's it's silly. Uh, I don't really quite understand it uh, entirely, but I mean we see it in boxing as well. There's, there always has to be a belt. I mean, you know, even when uh, Connor fought Floyd and Floyd fought uh, Logan Paul, there was some type of belt on the line. There and seems you can't to be this even fixation. No, of course I can't. But I know. Nothing. But the, it means nothing. Not it, one person has bought uh, bought a recent Floyd fight. Because of the title that they are fighting for. No, no, no I, I, I agree with that. It's, it's not the, the, the difference in somebody purchasing it, but it's, a, it's, it's part of the visual spectacle. It's something that people that the promoters want to see as part of the buildup. They want people to think that Get, it's an important fight for the it, King of important. Houston title. Create the King of Houston <laughs> championship. Okay. The, the, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> the I'm, King I'm, of I'm, Houston, oh, Cyril Gone. What did I? There's ultimately, you know, there's so many, there's so many cameras. Somebody takes a picture you want a shiny belt in the picture because it makes it look shiny and oh, important please, the whole please. fight give him a trophy That's... give him a give him a jacket give him a ring <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's UFC 265, folks, for the interim championship. Um, anything else as we uh, r- wind this down uh, that you are looking at? I know, Phil, you are very excited. Uh, it's it's the return of uh, Brad Tavares against Omari Akhmedov on the early prelims. Uh, yeah, you know, the earlier the better. Uh, you know, the oh. more prelim fights. The, yeah, that's that's all I'm excited for on these, uh, these UFC pay-per-views. And, you know, back in Vegas, so... Uh, full crowd. I mean, that should be pretty interesting um, to see that, see a full crowd reaction for Connor. Um, I love the selling think- points. Like when, when you hear Dana, like if you f- watch all these interviews he does, like he's got his talking points in all these interviews. And the big hard sell for this pay-per-view is most celebrities at a UFC event in history. There has never been more celebrities as though oh. I'm the fan at home that is considering buying this show. You know what? There's going to be a lot of celebrities on this pay-per-view. I'm putting down my 70 bucks. I think I think that <laughs> is going to be the deciding factor. Now that if you can quantify the amount of celebrity cutaways we're going to see, including our favorite Machine Gun Kelly that will be there. Uh, oh, that was my second favorite. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a real fan in Machine Gun Kelly, all, all jokes aside. But uh, nonetheless, and I guess Donald Trump will be there on Saturday. Willie? What? Yeah, yeah, he'll be there. I did not hear that. They gave out like an entire list of celebrities who was going to be. It's completely ridiculous. It was like Kevin Durant. I did not know that at all. Wow. So that's coming up Saturday night, folks. Uh, If you want to follow along with all of the post-wrestling listeners, the place to be is in the Discord chat where Phil and Eric will be active I will be lurking. Uh, you can vote, uh, make your fight picks. I, I, I find that you guys have a cool system there to get in all your votes. P- yeah. Fight picks right on, right on the spot. It's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, so we have uh, so just uh, usually during the intros, uh, Eric will set up a little poll where you can pick uh, the winner of the next fight. And uh, when that's over, you get some points. But uh, we also keep track of everybody's uh, uh, wins and losses. And so we have a leaderboard as well, uh, which I think Eric is on top of, as he has been for a while. Um, and uh, we'll be resetting that leaderboard at the end of the year. But it's a fun way to keep track of the fight and even get interest in, in some fights that – you know, you may not have, you may not regularly pay attention to, and so uh, it just adds a little bit more excitement and chat in the uh, Discord, and it's something that uh, is a lot of fun, and so people should uh, join postwrestling.com/discord if they have not already. There you go, postwrestling.com/discord, and then Phil and I will be live right after the main event. Uh, you can watch at our YouTube channel, youtube.com/slash. Post wrestling will be running through all of the fights. Eric will have a report up on the site. And uh, I'll end with this announcement that we are planning to do our next post show a first, our first ever Bellator post show. And I actually announced this on a recent show and I, <laughs> I announced that Eric was going to be on the post show with us. I had not formally <laughs> asked Eric if he was even around that night. Uh, but I hope you can join us, Eric. If you there is no uh, formal asking. There is not even any discussion. I, I was in the Zoom room as that happened. And I, and I go onto the Discord and I message <laughs> Phil and I said, Phil, is this is this a thing? Were you told about this? <laughs> I remember that I talked about it, but I guess I only spoke about it with Phil. And by extension, I just assume you two are like attached at the hip that the message would get to the other. But uh, that was on me. I kind of... Uh, Booked you publicly to appear on this Bellator post show. I definitely do want to do a preview for that one because I, I imagine there is a lot less followers of Bellator. But this is a huge card. I'm very excited for this fight with uh, Pitbull and AJ McKee. That's on July 31st, right at the end of the month. Yeah, this card is great and definitely post show and preview show worthy. Yes. Phil? Yeah, I mean, you've, I mean, look, McKee is is this up and coming guy who has all the star potential in the world. Uh, I mean, they were promoting Showtime was promoting him heavily over the course of the boxing events recently, giving him a lot of airtime. He was sitting uh, ringside with uh, Steven Espinoza, so uh, I think that they have a lot invested in him. Uh, and uh, you know, I was a bit conflicted. Because Askar Askarov was fighting the same night, but fortunately, well, unfortunately, he's had to pull out of his fight. But fortunately for me, I can devote all my attention to Bellator that night. And uh, so, yeah, I look forward to the preview and the post show. Uh, Last question is for you, Eric. Uh, PFL is kind of at their... uh their break period before the playoffs start. But, um, you know, you've been following it. I've been really interested with with this current season. I think it's got the most interest uh, that PFL has had so far. But just what are some of your overall thoughts as they get set for the playoffs and what they have going for them? I I think the format has now like people are used to it. It's it's clicked and it's something different. And I think it's it's kind of intriguing. Yeah, in terms of interest, I think bringing in some of those established UFC names definitely uh, carried over to a bit more general interest this year. Uh, Plus, not having any events last year kind of uh, left a bit of that longing there, right? So people are looking forward to it a bit more. And and interestingly enough, of those big names that signed with the PFL, which I would encompass as Fabricio Verdun, Anthony Pettis, and Rory McDonald, it's only McDonald who's going Mm -hmm. into the playoff period now, so... 
uh, I'll be really interested to see uh, the interest in this as it progresses. Uh, I think well, Lance Palmer lost both his right fights. Now. Like he would have yeah. probably been most people's favorite to win a third tournament, and he's not even in the playoffs. So you've had some unpredictability that's that's helped as well if you've been following. It's certainly a fun and very unique format to anything else that's going on in MMA. And when the UFC runs basically every single week. I think you have to do something as a promotion to uh, distinguish yourself and stand out from the pack. And I think the PFL has done that uh, pretty well. One thing I'll say about the PFL that it does well with its format, even though I find a little bit of it to be uh, a tad confusing, is that it gives you something to look forward to for these fighters. You, Even if you don't know, mm. which you probably don't know most of these fighters, you know, okay, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be going up against one of these guys. So it, it, it allows the viewer to form a relationship with the season or the series to that effect. And I think to your point, Eric, that distinguishes it from other MMA brands and especially from the UFC who runs fight nights every weekend. They all bleed into each other. You can't tell the difference between one fight night from another a lot of the times in terms of which fight was on there and who fought who and where did it take place at the apex, of course. Right. So uh, I think that is something that PFL does well and has served them well this year. It's a great yeah, point. From- yeah, go ahead, like Eric. The first, from the first fight on the first episode of their prelims moving forward, every fight has meaning, even if you don't know the people. It has as much significance as the main event does in terms of their uh, point structure. So as a viewer, it can convince you to tune into something that you might not otherwise. And not too many other big promotions do that quite as well. I think one championship definitely has something going where they, or is it one FC now? I never remember. They definitely have something going where they mix in different kinds of combat sports throughout the card. But you look at most promotions, it's just straight up MMA throughout the most part. I, I think uh, the PFL, they're definitely making a name for themselves. And I think it's going to be even bigger next year. All right. Well, maybe, maybe there will be a PFL post show before the end of the year. Who knows? But, uh, do a follow along with all of our coverage on Saturday night. Again, we are live right after the main event ends. YouTube.com slash post wrestling. And you can follow all night long at postwrestling.com slash discord. So check all of that great stuff out. Uh, Phil, where can people follow you and all of your thoughts? Just just reach out on the Discord. That's the best place uh, right now. Uh, that's you know where we hang out. We, we're still doing our Twin Peaks watch along. Uh, there's always exciting events. We actually have a member of the Discord, Dickie Bird. He's running a series on Twitch where he is playing this incredible squad-based game, XCOM, and he's made all these members of the Post community as characters. John, you're in there as our top scientist. Eric's in there kicking butt. I'm in there as a robot (laughs) on the prowl. It's a lot of fun. It's Mondays and Wednesdays, so you can find out more if you join the Discord. There's always something going on, so uh, yeah, postwrestling.com slash Discord. And Eric, where can we follow you? Uh, you know what? You can follow me anywhere. I, I'm everywhere. I'm in the Discord. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the forum. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Just track me down. I'm there. <laughs> track him down. Eric Marcotte. He'll give out his home address uh, one of these shows. Yeah, All right. come out to Sudbury. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for us. Thank you for listening to our UFC 264 preview show.